Welcome to the Canteen Podcast, a show for anyone who has feelings about food. Join host Ali Houston as guests open up about their relationship with food and their thoughts on nutrition. Nourish yourself with the Canteen Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the Canteen Podcast. I'm your host, Ali Houston. Please don't forget to jump over to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. Please don't forget to leave a five-star rating and review to get the podcast in front of more eyes. This podcast is made possible thanks to paleocanteen.co.uk, which is my company. That's paleocanteen.co.uk. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Okay, and we're recording. And I'm lucky enough to have with me... Dr. Michael Baslinton, who's a family doctor and GP and founder of the Body Mapping Clinic. Welcome. Hi. Hi, Ali. Nice to, nice to chat to you. Happy Monday afternoon. Yes, indeed. Thanks for coming on. Um, Not cool. So I started uh, seeing you uh, on Twitter, um, kind of interacting with uh, the great and the good on there. And I think it's really interesting talking to GPs about how they're going about treating people at the moment, because there's a lot of talk about, um, you know, whether there's enough studies to uh, justify certain treatment types and so on and so forth. But it seems like you're having a lot of um, a lot of good results. And uh, so maybe you can talk about your approach to general practice. Um, yeah. Good question. Um, so yes, I'm a GP, family GP in Nottinghamshire. I started, I currently am a partner there. I work, I work there three days a week. I started in 2007. So I have been there now 13 years. So I've sort of now looking after several generations, um, which is quite interesting because you, I'm looking at some of the, some of the people who are bringing their children, their babies with me, babies to see me. I sort of, started seeing them when they're six or seven years old. So I think within general practice, we were in a kind of unique position to see people all through, throughout all aspects of their lives and all sort of phases of their lives. So I suppose that's something that is perhaps unique to general practice. Um, I don't think there are many other specialties that quite see, see quite that sort of spectrum of, of life's ages. And, and I've no intention I've probably got another good 15, 20 years left there. So um, that's a kind of ongoing journey that I have with my patients. And we try and maintain continuity, which is a bit of a struggle in current, current times. But um, yeah, we, we do a good job of that. So I think a lot about, I sometimes, I think when I first started general practice it, or medicine, I thought I was going to go and fix people and fix their, pro- fix their medical problems a bit like you might fix a broken machine or um or a system and i think now i I realize more that i sort of manage people's anxieties or uncertainties about their lives and sometimes the most important thing is to do is to recognize when there isn't anything to actually do there's no intervention that's necessarily required it's actually saying i think you're okay the symptoms you've got are probably self-limiting and get better and come back if not so there's a sort of there's a huge skill in knowing when to do as little as possible. So, so that, you know, to do no harm is the first, 
is the first kind of calling and it's actually quite difficult to make the the judgment that at, at the moment there's nothing to be done so i've so rather than being a sort of overactive over sort of over overly keen interventionist you're you're actually managing people's uncertainties with them and that's very difficult to measure it's very difficult to value and and i think that's that underlies a lot of the problem with general practice is that that the, the vast bulk of the work that we do goes unseen because it's it's about reassuring people that they're they're okay hmm. and knowing when to investigate further to you know to confirm that or not yeah i guess you don't have as much time per patient as you you may be used to and in general practice and uh i guess that's that means that kind of working out who to treat further and who to just reassure um is more important than ever i mean do you think there's more people now that need to be treated than ever before or not? I think it's difficult to compare, isn't it? I think each, each generation has its kind of challenges in front of it. I think our, you know, we, we, we inherited a, a group of people in the post-war generation, the baby boomers, if you like, who, who had, you know, benefited from the sort of the revolution in antibiotics, and the sense of you know what we can do by eradicating um, specific causes of disease, so with immunisation and antibiotics. So, but that's not our challenge at the moment. You know, in some ways, that that battle was was you know won by the previous generation of doctors, if you like. And we've we're, we've inherited a different a different challenge. And I think that that is the one of sort of lifestyle diseases you know most most of the things we challenge you know we we have in front of us are a result of 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 lifestyle issues which aren't disease processes but they are nonetheless pathologies if you like so people come in with pain and they come in with fatigue they come in with symptoms of you know headaches or all of which don't there's no you can scan them you can test you know do blood tests you know there's no there's no pathology that sits there until they get into, you know, until they sort of that disease process proceeds and becomes pathology. So diabetes, cancers, dementia, um, arthritis. So we sort of see symptoms of lifestyle issues, being overweight, not doing enough exercise, um, not getting enough sleep, eating the wrong food, um, you know, destructive relationships, all these kind of, things that affect people and affect them severely and, and profoundly um but they they don't fit the sort of there's no pathology to find there's no infection there's no disease process that we can measure or or, or actually you know measure and monitor and treat so we're kind of and and that i think you know i've seen i think i see you know I, 15 years ago when i started general practice training you wouldn't see someone in their forties with bowel cancer. It was just unheard of. You know, it just didn't happen in, or it was rare. Whereas in the last two or three years, we see it, we're seeing more and more of, of these problems. So that's a sort of potentially a pathology that's kind of come to the younger generation. And I think, you know, mainly because of what we eat and our lifestyle and, and how we, how we live. Mm. Of course, smoking is a huge risk 
um, a huge causal factor in any sort of GI tract cancers, um, but that's gone way down. And so, you know, if the fact that um, it's going up and getting people getting younger and younger when they get it, the, there, uh, there seems to be something amiss there. So what, what do you think it is about the food environment that might be driving that? So I think, yeah, so the food environment, I mean, perhaps if we live in a, basically we're not eating real food, are we? We're eating processed food that um, tends to have higher refined sugars and carbohydrates in them um, that sort of fuels an inflammatory process. Um, and I think that, that has, has to form a part of it. I think the timing of when we eat, I think the sort of the, you know, the fact we tend to eat throughout the day, we don't, we tend to snack, we tend to, um, we tend to eat and we don't need to eat. I think all of these things add to it. I don't think, you know, we're, we don't eat real food. We tend to eat processed food in, in a way that we've never done before. Um, so, so do you, do you tend to talk about this message of eating real food with your well, patients? Yeah, I do to some, you know, when you can. Um, So in an eight minute consultation, there's a limit to what you can fit in. And actually what people come with is, you know, they, they don't necessarily, you have to meet where people meet people where they're at. And sometimes, you know, it just isn't the time and that they're not ready. They don't necessarily want to talk about diet and lifestyle. But as I said, you know, at the beginning, because we, we work with people over, over their lifetime and in their family circumstances, I think that's where the opportunity comes to actually, uh, you know, sometimes they come, you know, they'll, someone will come two or three times and actually, doctor, I've been thinking about this and, you know, I just think maybe my weight's got something to do with my knee pain. You say, yeah, it probably has. You know, what, what do you have, what have you been thinking about this? So rather than sort of, being very prescriptive and directive, I've learned that really you have to wait for the, for the person to come to that point of motivation and point of, you know, change. Um, we, we, I think, you know, I, what I've just said about changes in lifestyle, I don't, I don't, I think most men on the street would, most people on the street would be able to give you that answer, but we all, so we, I, I'm not sure that's lack of knowledge. I think in some places it isn't lack of knowledge, but it's also, how do you change behavior? How do you move from a certain way of living and eating and, and being to another one? And that's, I think that's, that's a big challenge. Um, and I've always been, I mean, perhaps my, my background is my father was, I think I emailed you some of the details, but um, my, I look back at my own childhood and we were brought up on food. My father was a dentist, so he had a kind of keen eye for sugar and the need to reduce it um so we were brought up on real food um and i remember doing a gcse biology project on vitamin e um <laughs> and and the fact that you know the sort of quant- you know where vitamin e was found in in sort of natural healthy fats and so i've always had a sort of although i've had an interest in nutrition and always i've been brought up with it that it's important you know what you are what you eat sort of scenario and my father would always you know he he didn't buy the sort of the 1980s saturated fat is gonna kill us all of you know we're all gonna die of heart disease because of something that we've been eating for thousands and thousands of years he just didn't he didn't buy that so as a family we just plowed straight on through and carried on eating real food i think so i've i've always brought a sort of degree of nutrition and 
and exercise and, and lifestyle to to what I do. And I think that's probably, you know, that's that's dictated how I sort of see my role with with my patients. But what happened um, five years ago? I um, started reading about the, the sort of the the, the prof, Professor Noakes and <coughs> excuse me, yeah. So and and the um, the role of fat in our diet and carbohydrates and protein. So I sort of took my, did a lot of my own reading um, and rather than sort of relying on the sort of the standard advice, actually began to sort of try and understand a little bit of what we were doing with our diet. And that was quite an eye opener. And I think that gave me an extra sort of enthusiasm with my patients to encourage them to reduce, you know, eat in a certain way. And for those that managed to do that well, the results I think were quite phenomenal. People sort of, you know, lost a lot of weight. They sort of turned their sort of diabetes around, put it into remission. And I think as a clinician, when you see that happening on a couple of occasions, it kind of fuels your sort of enthusiasm. So I think there was a period where I was particularly, probably going back about three years ago, four years ago, very enthusiastic, very sort of, you know, almost evangelical, if you want to use that word, about that way of eating. And, and I think what I've learned since is that it, it, people, you have to sort of point people and encourage people to, to, to go in a certain direction. You can't, you can't sort of take them with you unless they want to go with you. And I think this, the whole behavioral change thing is, is far more challenging than, than, you know, the long-term behavior change is, is challenging and people find it hard. And I think, so I was quite excited to find um, your, the paleo canteen sort of food choice, you know, food meals, you know. So I think I managed to, before you, because you're not currently doing those at the moment, are you? Is that? That's right, yeah, there's, I was, last year I was, um, I was delivering uh, meals that were all real food and, um, were either sort of lower carb or, um, you know, using sweet potato or rice or something. Yeah. You were very active and you were metabolically yeah. healthy. And yeah. yeah, I was delivering them. It, it was interesting. I uh, I kind of had that up and running for about nine months. And right. I found that there was plenty of interest. Yeah. But it's a business with lots of moving parts. And oh, it's, yeah, huge. I think it's... Um, it's uh, it's something that needs constant uh, advertising to get people excited about because, yeah. um, and I and I also think that it it definitely adds something. But what I'm working on at the moment, mainly with Paleo Canteen, is a cookbook because it would be really right. great to enable people to do it more for themselves. And I think I can probably get to more people by doing that. Um, Absolutely. So I've got a cookbook coming out called uh, Paleo Canteen Low Carb on a Budget, which yes. is in June, which I think when I spoke to David Unwin, who's done the foreword mm. for it, he, uh, he kind of almost bit my hand off because I think he gets that a lot. People think that it's a very expensive way to eat, but actually it doesn't have to be. You can cook really lovely stuff that doesn't cost much. And I think you save a lot if you deliberately 
cut out yeah. some of the stuff that you buy when you're out and about that's processed and might be quite expensive. No, I completely agree. And I think that's what we need. We, you know, one thing people come and say, look, you know, I don't really care whether it's low carb or high carb or whatever. I just tell me what to eat. What, what shall I eat? And I think, and actually, you know, it, it is a challenge to actually say, you know, when you're actually faced with that question, what, you know, what, what do I eat? And I, so I think something like that is, is, will be, will be useful. Um, and I think it's just people, people sort of get overwhelmed by the amount of information. So as I said before, it's not just necessarily about applying people with, you know, why a lower carbohydrate diet or this, you know, we don't want to get people obsessed about measuring their macros or their sort of calories. And we want people to sort of eat, you know, nutritionally dense food until they're full um, and exercise and to do that and afford to do that. And I think it's also, you know, it's also, it's not just what to eat. It's how do I fit that into my, you know, working week, you know, blokes who, you know, are up early, um, you know, on the road for sort of six o'clock, you know, maybe they're trade tradespeople. They, you know, what do they put in their pack up? Um, or what do they stop off to buy? Or, you know, and I think, I think that's, it, it's not just what you eat. It's how do you make it practical to eat it? Yeah. And then I have a, I have a, you know, the hospital canteen, you know, occasionally it will cater for what I need, but it just on the whole, it doesn't. So your, your ready meals were perfect. They just, you know, they went in, you know, heated them up, went in, went in the flask and, and away I went. But so it's trying to sort of give people creative ideas of, of how to, how to do that. I mean, I, for the, for the, for the people who ask, you know, for the guys who, you know, who, and, and people, and women who are sort of on the road or moving or sort of have to be at work and they don't have, you know, whether they can't eat or they eat at their desk, I tend to encourage them to think of a sort of anything that will go in a flask and then you can eat with a spoon because that's, <laughs> that's my challenge. Um, you know, it, it's difficult. I don't have a table where I can go and eat at work. I have to eat at my desk. So if I can fit it in a flask and eat it with a spoon, I tend not to spill it or, you know, it's kind of, and, so this morning I had, right, so I did a, a, an urgent care shift this morning. So I was there at seven um, and finished at one. So I'm free to speak to you this afternoon. But I did a, I trialed a cooked breakfast in a, in a thermos flask. Hmm. So basically I, three scrambled eggs and that was, so that went in the base and then three mushrooms fried in butter, five sausages, chipolatas and four tomatoes. And it was good. It worked. So but you, you know, you wouldn't necessarily think that you could fit, but you have to chop the sausages up because you haven't got a plate to cut them up. So when you're sitting at your desk, right enough, yeah. you can just eat them with a spoon. So I think, I think people face those kind of chat, you know, face those challenges and how do they, you know, a lot of people don't, they tend to snack throughout the day. You know, they have a breakfast, you know, breakfast cereal for breakfast, and then they probably have a light lunch and then they come home at seven o'clock, eight o'clock, put the kids to bed or, and eat nine o'clock in the evening. And that's, that's not a great, even if you're eating the right type of food, that's not a great time to eat. So I think the challenge is, it's very practical, isn't it? So a book that will kind of guide people through, you know, just give, you know, ideas of how they can actually get, get the right food, you know, in and enjoy it and, you know, and look forward to eating it. So yeah, I, I will, um, I will be going on, I will be buying a, buying a coffee when it comes out. 
Thanks very much. I mean, the meals is something I would look look again at doing in the future. Um, but again, you know, if it's if it's if it's as much about practicality, I um, I've considered the next book being, uh, you know, uh, about doing um, more large scale prep. You know, so that you could um, create big batches of food yeah. and put them into you know uh, frozen. Um, plastic containers and yes. then if you do that um, successively over four weeks then you've got a choice of four meals that you can take into work on a, at a pinch and um, you know fill it fill out some of the rest of the stuff I mean it's I think part of the problem is a skills gap in that a lot of people just don't know how to cook and, right, okay. and, and would rather not um, and then another problem is even worse potentially that they don't know what they should be cooking. So yes. like um, I had Scott Murray, the uh, consultant oh, yes, cardiologist yeah. on, yes. and he was saying about one of his patients who uh, I think was facing, you know, severe blockage in the coronary arteries in their forties. Right. And, you know, their da- their, one of their parents had died young of a heart attack. And they asked what they were eating, and it was, you know, like uh, I think some muffins in the morning and a Chinese right. takeaway every night. And when Scott told the person what might be better to eat in terms of yes. their heart health, it wasn't. They weren't going, oh, I know, I know, I know. It's just that you know, okay. it's difficult. They were actually just confused. They they didn't okay. it was news to them, and so there's all these you know, different um, issues that, uh, that are faced. And Scott mentioned uh, this uh, scale of classification on different types of people. Um, this is in another podcast. And mm, it's, it's yeah. whether you're, a, you know, a, a nihilist or an optimist or, you know, and it's, it's different classifications of people. But I think in terms of... You're breaking up there. Oh, you got me now? Yeah, I've got you. You're back on. I think in terms of... Um, you know, converting people, if that's the right word. You want mm. people who are already keen to learn, um, who will give something a try, but just haven't heard the right thing yet. Yeah. And there's some people who you, you could tell them all the right information in the nicest possible way um, for as long as you like, but they just, mm. they just either don't want to believe that there's something that could help them or they don't want to try and yeah. um, I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, I suppose with, with our cohort of patients, you know, they, you know, there's several of us in the practice who are particularly with some of the nurses are really, who do a lot of work with the diabetics. You know, we've been, I think a lot of our patients particularly have heard the message before. So they sort of roll their eyes and kind of think, Oh no, not again. So, so in that sense, I think there is, and we, we have, you know, our practices, I mean, it's, it's, there is some de- deprivation. There is some, um, we've got quite a spectrum within the practice. And I think the people who tend to sort of engage with the treatment, they, they tend, they tend to be more, you know, educated. They're sort of, they want to engage as you say. So they are the people who come and say, Oh, that's really interesting. They go away, they do it and they do really well. And then 18 months later, they're like, actually, you know what, you know, I've, I've, you know, that just became too difficult when this happened. And then I sort of slipped back into this and, so I think 
probably my experience is people have heard the mess heard the message because of the practice I work in. Um, where I think there are, I'm sure you're right. There are people knowledge is potentially, I think the, me the message about the fact that saturated fat in itself isn't, you know, isn't harmful for the vast majority of us hasn't really got through. I think people, yeah, so I, I think you're right. It's difficult to know. I mean, we don't get, you know, we get eight minutes per patient. Um, and it's, it's, we have the results to, to measure things by and provided they're okay, we sort of move on. So I don't know. And I think this is partly why I've, you know, I've, in my other half of my life, I do, I'm sort of setting up this clinic, the body mapping clinic, which is trying to reach out to people who have, who, who want to actually take things a step further. Um, and I think because my, my day, my NHS work is very much, you know, essentially I'm a free service that people can come and see me and ask for what they want or what they think they need. Um, they're not, in my experience, they're not huge. They're not necessarily there to listen to what I think might be best for them. <laughs> um, it, it's that it, it's a different transaction that they've come and it's, yeah. So it's, it's the value act, the value transaction is different. Um, and some bit, and, and I think the NHS doesn't serve because we are, you know, we are there to sort of rightly so pick people up when they are, you know, significantly unwell. Um, and, you know, in a sense, I do some urgent care work, which is where we support A&E and we work alongside A&E. And I quite enjoy that because, in some way, you know, people are, you know, they are pretend that they're acutely unwell. So I, I don't, I rarely talk about diet and lifestyle because actually what they need there and then is treating of that acute condition, whether it, you know, whatever that might be. Um, in the NHS, in the sort of day, the day work where I'm sort of seeing my routine cohort of patients, it's more about um, managing their sort of chronic illness, whether it be high blood pressure, diabetes, and and yes, sometimes they want to talk about diet and lifestyle, but they're saying, well, the blood pressure medications are working, aren't they, doc? Okay. Well, your blood pressure is well controlled, yeah, on the three medications that you're taking. And they're happy. They're actually happy with that. They don't want to make, they, they don't, they're not coming to see me because they want to listen to me. They want to understand how they can lose two stone and, and you know, become fitter and healthier. And they just, they're just not, they haven't made that, this, that kind of, that thought, that thought process hasn't happened. And you can sort of nudge them towards, you know, you, know, is, you, know, you can ask a question like, is there anything else you thought you could do that might help you? you know, because, you know, it's, it's a, and, and yes, sometimes you do get that, but not always. And I think what I, what I wanted to do, I, I don't, and I'm not hugely confident that we're gonna have in the next 10 or 15 years, the opportunity to really offer that kind of support and work for people. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I just don't see it happening because we don't have the resources to deal with acute people, let alone the spend. And it's time consuming. Mm -hmm. I mean, on a positive, I suppose on a positive, we've started doing some group consultations. Some of our nurses are working with people in, in groups, which hopefully will be more efficient. Um, but I think what I'm interested in doing with part of my week and part of my time is actually looking for people who, you know, want to understand you know, how they, you know, what can they do to completely sort of optimize and improve their health? And, and the, 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 the handful of clients I have got often 
they don't they're not symptomatic they don't feel unwell but they say i want to you know i want to continue to be active and fit and well and feel healthy into my 50s 60s 70s 80s and beyond and i think and that that's a group who i increasingly want to work with and i don't think the nhs serves them particularly well because it is quite time consuming and actually the skill group the skill set that that you need to sort of understand the sort of nuances of, of that work is, is not really general practice. And that's more sort of lifestyle medicine. It's more functional medicine. Um, and that's the other aspect of my work. So it's, so I have it, I have this kind of, so I, so I don't have my urgent care, I have my NHS sort of chronic, chronic illness working with people. And then I have my sort of, my sort of health coaching. So, and that fits my, that breadth, you know, I feel quite comfortable with. I mean, I could do with 48 hours in a day, but mm. it's just, so I think, yeah, I think people, it's trying to meet, you know, and, and certain people need certain things at certain times. So it's trying to sort of match your skill set to those people and, and, you know, trying to help people where you can. Um, I can understand, um, particularly around the <coughs> hearing people say they're, they're satisfied that their blood pressure is down, for example, and, you know, they're not thinking along the lines of, mm. you know, their body didn't evolve over millions of years to have a, a, a blood pressure medication deficiency. You know, that's not why they have high blood pressure. They have high blood pressure no. because of some, you know, underlying reason. But I think, I've, and I've said this before on the podcast and to plenty of people elsewhere that, I feel quite lucky in a way that I had quite acute symptoms. You know, uh, when I went low carb, my mental health problems went away. Yeah. My brain fog and um, fatigue, um, autoimmune problems cleared up. And there was, you know, I had dreadful heartburn before where I would have yes. to sit up in bed and it didn't really help. And, and then, but then when I went low carb, it just disappeared after a few days. Yes. I um, resume the old order of eating sugar, refined flour, starch, mm. veg oil, that kind of thing, then these problems come back quite quickly. So yes. in a way, I feel lucky that I had such bad symptoms because yes. if it's quote unquote, just the fact that I've got hypertension for 30 years, then you might think, ah, well, you know, that that's all right. I've got to take a couple of pills for it. But actually in the background, you're storing up problems for the future that, you know, you can tell people that, but the future just seems so far away. Yes. Yes. And it's kind of, when you've got acute symptoms, you tend to seek help. I mean, that's why people go to see dentists, isn't it? Because they have toothache. <laughs> so, and I think, you know, that's our, but that's actually our body's kind of, I suppose, by the time you've got symptoms, potentially, you know, it sounds like you, you had them fairly early on. Um, some people can actually, you know, they develop symptoms when, you know, 10, 10, 10, 15 years into the problems. You know, and what you don't want is you don't want your MI, your heart attack, to be the first symptom you have. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think you know, some people are more body aware. Some people expect more of their bodies. And I think everyone's... Some people just feel very comfortable. Some people um, don't. I mean, I know, you know, oh, you know, I've one of the, I used to injure a lot. I used to play rugby as a, as a, as a youngster. You know, I'd always be injured. 
so and I would move to cycling and and I would sprain things and strain things and you know and I I know that I have to eat you know a diet high in collagen so and that and vitamin C and that helps so I think I think um I can't remember the name the guy who discovered the, the sort of mitochondrial DNA inherited from your mother you, his name escapes mm-hmm. me but he, he he went he said he went into genetic research um because he he wanted to know where he came from and he wanted to know why he felt so awful every day so i think i think you know we do inherit our genetics and that does de- define how we respond to the environment we live in um and if you you know if you there's nothing worse than having constant gut sim- you know symptoms but if yeah. you don't have them you don't know you know you don't you don't so i think so, so you're right we have to be fe- we have to sort of tune into our symptomology and say what's my body telling me you know what what and this is again where you know in, in an nhs scenario we're looking for pathology so we'll run a whole lot of tests and say well the tests are fine so it's not uncommon a patient say, well, i feel tired all the time i feel tired all the time doctor we, and we say well you've, your thyroid function's fine and you're not anemic and 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 your kidney function's fine and your liver function's fine you're perfect that doesn't but the patient in front of you, so I feel rot, you know, I feel, I feel awful. Um, so actually, you know, but from our sort of, you know, the time we have, you know, our eight minutes plus, you know, write up time, it doesn't really, you know, we're there to make sure they don't have thyroid disease or they're not anemic and they and, and say, well, you know, from, from our perspective, you've got no, no obvious pathology in ter- if you then, dig a bit deeper um which you you sometimes you know you sometimes can then then the answers begin to sort of fall out um but unfortunately i don't think we don't really live in a our current our current system is under pressure and we we just don't really have the resources i don't think to deal with the, the, the huge tsunami of lifestyle related issues that are there which is kind of a cruel irony, isn't it? Because if you, it is. if you, yeah. if you, if people, so I think they all, it's all, it's all bound together. You know, there's uh, people like me who had acute problems, but the, yeah. the, 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 my doctors maybe weren't equipped in the way you are to address lifestyle. Um, yeah. Because if they were be able to be, if they were able to be very specific and say, you know, it might be that if you go low carb and this will help, then I, I think I would have given it a try. So, yeah. um, you know, uh, I think not every doctor is the same and not like you're saying, not every patient's the same, but if, yeah. if we were able to get the message across that, um, not just things like hypertension, but things like gut issues, things like, uh, heartburn, things like fatigue, these things that maybe your patients wouldn't even tell you about could go yeah. away and, and for them to really believe it, because I think yes. people feel like they've heard it all before now. And, um, they might be getting sold something. Um, so, uh, you know, what percentage of, of, of health problems do you think could be um, resolved on a sort of improvement on lifestyle and kind of how much would that affect your day-to-day in general practice? So I think, <laughs> I mean, the answer is, you know, every, every condition is, is improved by lifestyle changes. So even if you've got a, 
condition that isn't necessarily the root cause isn't necessarily lifestyle then but that that condition i'm just trying to think of an example but that condition itself um will be improved by a better lifestyle if you see what i mean you know that we know you know sleep for example is probably the most you know, it it's free it doesn't cost you anything um, matthew walker google sleep scientist um professor at berkeley isn't he? he's written a whole book on sleep you know he's excellent on sleep and his research you know he why wouldn't you sleep seven and a half hours a day? You know, because whatever, whatever your condition is, that will help you. Um, do we all do that? No, because life gets in the way and, and thing, you know, and it's difficult. So I think, but whatever your condition is, changes to your life, the way you eat and the way you live will benefit, will benefit it. So I think it's, a, it's not quite the answer I guess you're looking for, but you know, it, it it's the case. So, what if you if you've got you know rheumatoid arthritis, which is an in, you know it's an inflammatory inflammatory condition. Um, you know, the reason people get rheumatoid arthritis is multifactorial. It's, you know, partly, it's partly genetic. It's but it's if you're if you're overweight with rheumatoid arthritis, your pain is going to be you know it's going to be worse. So, um, again, there's nothing to be lost by eating well, sleeping well, moving more. Um, and rest and relaxation so but that's not you know if you're if you're a single mum with three kids and two jobs and very little support that's a real challenge isn't it so so i think it is it's it's a it's you know getting getting things right and in the right in the right order and the right perspective takes and it's not easy so you know you are you know you obviously found found the right solution for yourself but that then required you to implement that and action on it and in order to see the benefit it wasn't just knowledge and knowing what to do i get that you know if you hadn't come across that then you wouldn't you'd possibly be in a worse situation now than you were then and i think that's the sort of damascus road if you want sort of kind of realization isn't it that you sort of oh my goodness i just shouldn't eat weetabix and it makes me feel so much better you know and it is that simple that 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 in itself is, you know, there's an element of simplicity there. You know, I just need to have scrambled eggs for breakfast instead of Weetabix. And I, you know, I, I no longer have symptom, you know, all this symptomology. And I, so there is a, there is a simplicity there, but, but, it, and I, and some people take that on board and they just run with it and off they go and great. Other people don't. And I, and I think there is, therein lies a sort of the beauty of, of human life is that we are all different and we are all sort of, on a different part in our path and journey. And, and, you know, I, I, I've been caught out many times, you know, some people you think will take the message, understand it, action it, and will come back and will be completely changed. And they, they're not. And other people you think, I just can't see how, you know, you're going to sort of manage this or action it. And, and they come back and completely surprise you. And they've completely, you know, complete success story. And I think, so I've learned not to sort of prejudge how people are going to take the information. Um, That's been the same with me, actually, whether it's family members or friends. Right, yeah. I thought just, would be, um, or, or customers, you know, people who I thought would potentially be more resistant have been mm. almost early adopters. And yes. then people who I thought would be really open to it are quite skeptical or just yeah. ignore it completely or whatever. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that is the complexity of the human mind. I think that is, is just, yeah, 
and I think well, I see that all the time. So I've learned to, you know, not, not to kind of prejudge and pre, you know, and, and I think coming back to sort of, you know, what percentage of things can be, you know, caused by lifestyle issues and, you know, a lot, but it's not, the problem is if you, if you sort of get on your high horse and say, well, you just need to, you know, eat like this and you'll be fine. You know, perhaps that's, you know, you've overlooked the fact that their, you know, their partner's abusing them or, or their, you know, their child's incredibly sick or that, you know, that, and that, and sometimes people come with one problem, but the real problem that they're testing you to see how you're, you will deal with, you know, can I trust this person with something that's really quite personal and quite sensitive? So they might, you know, well, I've got knee pain doc is actually, but what they really want to talk about is the fact they lost their mum last year and, you know, they're having problems at work and they're going to lose their job and, you know, actually put on weight. And, but the first thing they do is they just want to see how they just want to test you out and see, see how you manage with, with, you know, so if, so I think if you then, you know, if you, the first thing you notice is that they're, they're overweight and you say, well, you've got knee pain because you're overweight. You need to do A, B and C and you'll be fine. Off you go. They might think, well, this, he wasn't really interested in listening to me. So, and, and they don't hear, so the test was, will this doctor listen to me? They didn't go there to listen to the solution for their knee pain. So it, 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 and that's what you've got to sort of discern and you don't, and you don't always get it right. But I think, so if you jump in too soon, you get it wrong. If you, if you, if you, if you don't tell them, then there's a missed opportunity. And I think this, again, this comes, this is the whole, you know, the continuity of what we, what we've, used to have in primary care and, and is, is we're losing um, where you actually begin to sort of understand how a person ticks and how they work. And you, know, you may not have seen them for two or three years, but, but they come back and think, Oh, I remember this person. I remember the sort of, you know, this was you know, lots of anxiety, here, but there was an issue. And so you start to, you work with different ways and do with different people. So. Mm, it's such a, it's such a kind of soft skill thing. You know, there's no, script really you just have no. to meet the patient and you do um i guess that's what makes it quite complicated so i've lost you there again Are you back yeah yep you got you yeah back yep okay yeah it is and i think that that's and it's like i said you know one of the greatest skills is is knowing when not to to jump in and do anything um and and it's difficult to measure that it's difficult to value that it's difficult to budget for that so unfortunately it doesn't get budgeted, it doesn't get valued and it, and it gets, it gets lost. So we live in a world where with computers, where it's easy, easy to measure lots of things. And that's how you know, we're funded on you know, some measurements, some not with, you know, our funding is complicated. Um, it, it's how do you, how do you measure what primary care does and what, what, what it doesn't do? Um, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> But I think um, it, it's, it is a soft skill, but I think it is, is actually, you know, I think it's well taught in general practice. I think, you know, we do have as GPs and sort of primary care health clinicians, I think we do, we are aware, you know, it's not something that's necessarily in, in secondary care. There's very much, there's more of a focus, I think, around um, certain specialities. And I think, Whereas in primary care, there's more space and there's more room to actually explore the sort of whole of the fam you know, family medicine in its kind of entirety. Um, so I think, I think it is, you know, we do have the skill set to do it. It's just, 
having you know you've got to in invest in the in the long term haven't you to actually to actually reap the benefits you know 15 years down the line where that person doesn't go on to develop x y and z and when you know we're now in the sort of firefighting you know we're, we're dealing with people with acute problems because that started 15 years ago so i don't know we shall we shall see where where things go um but i think i mean i, I attended a functional medicine um four days in London in 2017 and there were, I don't know, 400, 800 people there. A lot of people, a massive hotel in London. So, you know, there is a sort of an enthusiasm for looking at the, you know, looking at lifestyle medicine. You know, the Royal College of General Practice do a, run a prescribing lifestyle medicine course, um, runs I think twice a year, Dr. Rongan Chatterjee runs that. Um, so I think things are, you know, there is a sort of, there is an appetite for, you know, a sort of more, a, a broader approach. Um, but all we haven't, you know, so, so it's, a, yeah, it's an evolving kind of um, specialty in the UK. Um, and that excites me, that excites me. I, I think you know, that's what keeps me going. You know, how, what will I be doing in 20 years time? I will be doing sort of lifestyle medicine, I know that. Um, how much of that will be in the, in the NHS? How much will be private coaching? I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's quite often the case that it's seen that, um, you know, public services have to mop up the damage that uh, private companies have um, unleashed in some respects. Right. Um, I mean, how much do you buy into that? Do you think that um, there's a, a case for industry to be held to account for people's ill health? Or do you think, um, do you think it's fair game because it's really about uh, educating the individual and letting them choose? And if, and if, you know, and in all that, do you think there's room for legislation around all this? Yeah, I think we've seen, haven't we, with the, you know, the smoking ban and, you know, that's, that's made a massive change, you know, that's changed our cardiovascular health. Um, I think we've seen, we've seen that. I think, yeah, I, I think the food industry has, you know, it's a business, it's, it has to sell product. Um, I'm not sure whether I, you know, I understand that they have to work in that, in that sort of kind of that realm. Um, and I don't know whether that, you know, yeah, I don't think they are responsible in terms of delivering a product that is, is healthy. Um, and I think we probably need, you know, the, the opposite argument is, you know, people should have choice to do what they like. So, I mean, I would rather, I would rather, that the food industry has changed because people don't buy those products. And I think you know, I believe in sort of personal responsibility for making the right choices. Um, and I appreciate it's difficult um, to make those right choices. I suppose my sort of direction and kind of calling, if you like, and passion is to try and help people understand why the, how to make you know how you know, understand themselves better so that they can make better choices i don't th i'm not a really a lobbyist or a sort of you know i don't want to tell other people what to do so yeah i'm not particularly fond i don't i don't buy shares in the food industry put it like that <laughs> you know I'd, I'd rather i'd rather support a local farmer you know I, I think you know i'd rather you know we try and use our local butcher we try and you know so I'd rather, I would rather support 
people who are you know sort of closer to the sort of the work of producing food if you like than big industry um is doing things i mean you could argue you could argue, you could question about you know, the pharmaceutical industry you know what what's their motive what's their sort of guidance but and i think you know it's difficult that you know they have to uh, they have to produce med- medicines which we, which i prescribe on a on a daily basis um which i didn't have to prescribe as many but for those patients who need it they need it so i think you know we live i i just live in a you know we live in a very prag you have to be pragmatic you know and we live in a world that is changing and adapting and you know you look at you know we live you know we live in a world where sort of you know we buy we've, we've moved away from local produce haven't we we're sort of more of a global economy but then we become vulnerable to global effects like the current virus but you know it's a real concern so yeah. and i think yeah so i suppose in answer to question in answer to your question i don't i think legislation has a role and it, it definitely has a place i think that um more important you know it should be very transparent where the sort of you know we as as doctors have to declare our interests so we you know so that that's been tightened up between us and the pharmaceutical which is good you know we should know people we shouldn't be induced to prescribe certain sorts of medications and you know that the food industry shouldn't be advising the government on what we should be eating you know so if they are if there are people who are you know who have conflicts of interest it should be transparent so we all know who's advising who about what um that's that's for sure but in terms of actually you know turning things around i think we need to you know if people make choices that are better for them then i think then the food industry will adapt and change um yeah i tend to agree i think yeah people vote with their with their feet and vote with the wall yeah yeah absolutely um, you know i don't i don't feel personally responsible for every patient i see for their for their outcome i i feel responsible for my doing the best job i i can with the resources in front of me to help them at that point in time and trying to sort of give them the, the information and the points and the directors and but i can't lie you know lie lie awake at night worrying whether they've had two miles miles or three I, I you know i just can't and and neither should i really and i and i think you know they and i shouldn't make them feel bad about if they have you know it, it's trying to sort of be more it's not about guilt it's about sort of encouraging people to to make better choices and to sort of be be enthused to do that so that's mm-hmm. where you know that, that's i think positive in a sense sorry looking to the positive in a sense i think so i think so and, and actually you know i think we're all you know we are all masters of our own destinies you know within within the constraints we have and i get that some you know some people you know we've all come from different places so we all have to, you know i was fortunate i was brought up by two parents who had an interest in food and nutrition and that's influenced my choices throughout my life and i'm very grateful for that and you know and in relatively speaking i might make you know i can make good choices most of the time you know some people don't have that they don't start from there so they come from somewhere else so you take them where they try and understand where they've come from you know and actually point them in the right direction and and i think i mean pe- people are more creative than often we give them credit for for finding solutions to their own lives you know i'm a great problem solver i think i started life as an engineer before i switched to medicine and and i 
enjoy solving problems but actually sometimes people don't need they need the space to find the solutions to their own problems and one of the skills is to sort of draw out of people a solution out of them that actually fits their situation yeah that's been a big part of uh realization for me too is that you know because i started from a physics and engineering background and um, lost you again oh sorry sorry yeah, I was just yeah. saying I started from a physics and engineering background and right. realizing what I did about, um, you know, people uh, changing their lives with uh, paleo low carbohydrate type diets, mm. and the, the science that was already there. Mm. And it was like a revelation to me. And I thought that everyone, when I told them the information, they yes. would just say, oh, my God, you don't say, where do I sign up? Yes. And they were like, oh, okay. I, I, I still don't know really for some of them it might have been, oh, okay, I don't believe you. Or for some of them it was, oh, okay, well, who are you anyway? You're not a doctor. Or some yeah. of them it was, oh, okay, I do believe you, but I don't have any interest whatsoever in changing. Or, no. oh, okay, I'm going to do it. And then, you know, maybe they do, maybe they, they do it for a bit. Maybe they use it yeah. as a tool in the future or whatever. But it just isn't as simple as imparting information to fix a no. problem no that yeah and i've had to learn that you know just through my patients really who've been kind enough to sort of correct me <laughs> sort of, <laughs> you know and hopefully i've listened most of the time so yeah and i think that but that doesn't mean to say that we shouldn't you know give that kind of information at the right time in the appropriate way um so i think you can actually go the other way and say well no one's interested no one's going to listen so i'm not going to bother saying anything so that's kind of and that that's the sort of you sort of swing from those two feelings so i think you know it's hard work you know trying to gauge what information to give people and to encourage them you know it, it's it's hard work and i think one we're, we're one of the things we are looking at is um more group consultations and more Sort of running sort of a lot you know within running a lifestyle event sort of quarterly so that you don't you can kind of deliver that message to a people who want to come so if they don't come that's fine but also on a sort of more a scalable level um and the question you know people ask questions and they're probably the answer applicable to everyone there so rather than having to repeat the same sort of information several times over um you can actually scale that a little bit so, so the clinicians don't burn out and there's a little bit more sort of um yeah it's a bit it's a bit broader so you've got a group of maybe 20 30 people who are there because they're interested and the questions are applicable to everyone and probably ask questions that you hadn't thought of so and the people who, who would ask questions but are too shy actually hear the answers so so that so i'm so that will be, that's probably the next sort of 12 18 months we're hoping to run some of those we'll see how those go and how see how those are received that sounds cool yeah i think so. yeah being able to scale it and for people who really want to buy in sounds like a, a great thing to be getting into absolutely so we'll see i mean one thing one i have a webinar list for people to sign up to um for the body mapping clinic haven't haven't actually held any webinars yet but that for using something like zoom on a sort of group group and anyone in the uk can kind of can dial in and, and and have that sort of group sessions but all these things take time and thought and and actually a lot of planning as you know from your own business it's trying to sort of 
if you're doing a sort of 60 hour week job, you know, finding time in the evenings to put all these things together is, is it, is, is it a challenge? Yeah, absolutely. But I think, you know, you always hear about uh, people who are pioneers or early, you know, kind of starters in their, in yes. their field talking about the, the difficult years, but then, you know, you, you can really build something that's got a lot of power and I've got, I'm sure you've got a lot of feedback from patients, you know, thanking you for um, putting that information out there. So when it, when the information really lands, it's um, super satisfying. Oh, it's usually satisfying. And I think that's what drives you, but it's the, it's balancing, you know, when you're driven, when you're passionate about something and, and you see these kind of results, then, then you put more energy in and then, and it's, you're just going to be careful not to burn out. I think, you know, you sort of, and, I'd, and actually pace yourself. So I'm very much in, in the pacing myself sort of stage um, having, but you know, that's, that's fine. Cause I'd rather be here in 20 years, 25 years time, giving the same message and, and refining that message. So yeah. That's really cool. Um, I want to pick up on something you said earlier about getting injured a lot when you're playing rugby. That used oh, to yeah. to me all the time. And I think, I was probably more injury prone than others. And mm -hmm. uh, it's interesting what you say about collagen and vitamin C. I, uh, I think that my joints probably suffered a lot and I don't, I've no idea whether it was an autoimmune thing or whether mm -hmm. it was some other inflammatory thing. Um, I think when knee problems started uh, in a big way in mid twenties, I was too young for it to just be so-called wear and tear. But mm -hmm. um, I don't have an answer for that because I haven't really pushed it with the the doctor. It's kind of, I've had a bit of, uh, you know, when I was still overweight, it was eat less and move more. And, mm. uh, and since then it's, you know, do couch to 5k and see if you can build up the tissue and all that, but mm. it, nothing seems to work, but I'm not looking for a diagnosis or anything. Just, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just really, you know, in terms of, collagen and vitamin C, what's your rationale for, um, for saying that about yourself? And have you noticed a significant difference in your, um, in, in anything since doing that and how, and how do you get uh, collagen vitamin C? So, so this kind of came out of, if you, Keith Barr, who was, I think chief scientist at or muscle scientist for sky cycling, he's, He's on Twitter and um, they did vitamin. They sorry, they did uh, low carb a lot, didn't they? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think you know, sort of sports. I mean, low carb in endurance athletes is yeah. I mean, it's not my sort of necessarily my area of expertise, but yeah. I mean, for some people it works very well. I understand, and for some people it's. I think you know they need to sort of add in carbs at certain levels, but certainly to be able to burn fat if you're an endurance athlete is really important. I think a lot of endurance athletes some tend, tend to under eat. Um, so, cause they've got huge calorific demands and actually when you go into a more sort of low carb keto ketogenic diet, it tends to suppress appetite. Um, so the danger is you tend to, so endurance athletes tend to under eat um, in, and there's a red, something called a red syndrome, relative energy deficiency syndrome. So that is something you have to be a little bit aware of. Um, and yeah, so it's, so coming back to Keith Barr, um, he's done some quite, quite helpful podcasts on STEM talk um, about his work. And it's the sort of role of vitamin, vitamin C helps um, collagen to be laid down. Um, and so in terms of sort of nourishing your um, connective tissue. 
and I think he he was two podcasts. So I, I it's, it's, listen to Keith Barr, STEM Talk, fantastic, really detailed sort of eye opener into sort of the role of of those two, and the, the vitamin C works together with your collagen. And I think I listened to a podcast with um, Malcolm Kendrick and um, talking about heart disease, and he also got onto the sort of role subject of vitamin c and scurvy which is when you have low vitamin c in your diet and you bleed from the gums because you can't maintain the structure of your blood vessels because of the lack of the vitamin c and vitamin c helps the collagen which maintains your sort of blood vessels so it affects all bodies you know multiple body systems but you know i so in terms of vitamin c i just take a supplement i take a collagen supplement and a vitamin c supplement every day and just eat less you know, how do you measure that? I don't, don't know. And I think, I mean, certainly some, there is, you know, if you look at sort of, with kind of diving into more complex stuff. So um, need for, vit- for vitamin B12 and methylation, you know, we, there's various genetic, pheno- different people have different genetics. So some people have a higher demand for B vitamins and have, you know, the way they use glycine and collagen is slightly genetically different. Eighty um, percent you know, of people have a, a slight, you know, a, a slightly higher need for for those B vitamins. Twenty percent, I think, the population are fine. And I sort of wonder. Certainly, I test positive for one of those types. So the MTHFR. Yeah. So yeah. So there's a bit of genetics in the background to that. Twenty three and Me done, and um, was really interested in in all that, and put it into Prometheus and all the other sites that you can you can check yeah. and. Um, you know, look at the the different uh, mutations in the genes, and yes. I think it it's young science, but it can be quite useful to give you hints, right? Yeah, absolutely. And this is what the body mapping clinic—that's what I'm sort of, you know, it's per, it's more personalised medicine, medicine, um, and you can actually begin to be a little bit more focused in what you're advising people. We don't, you know, we don't. It is early stage. We don't really know. Again, we're not dealing with pathology, but we're kind of dealing with we are you know it's 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 science but it's it's kind of we don't know what the outcome will be in 20 years time but we know that we probably ate more nose to tail we probably ate more collagen you know in 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 the past and we tend to eat the sort of the leaner meats we tend we tend not to eat the sort of connective tissue and you know so you know simple things you can do is eat the skin with your chicken um eat more nose to tail um, so you're actually eating more connective tissue in the diet, but I find that it's easier to supplement. Um, so you, you know, you use, I think Great Lake collagen do collagen powder um, and vitamin C. And I play a lot of tennis, so it's quite hard on your joints, quite hard on your, you know. But then it's it's good to have impact sports because that increases bone strength, reduces osteoporosis. Um, and I think it's actually good to use your joints and you know, there's good evidence that actually the more you use them, you know, you don't necessarily wear them out. You actually, you, you get, you, you get, a, you know, a sort of more sort of robust and sort of resilient sort of skeleton. But if you're not feeding the skeleton with the right, with the right nutrients to start with, then you're going to struggle. So, um, you know, are you being nourished? You know, are you putting into your body what, what it needs? So yeah, I can share with you. I can share with you my um, my morning drink if you want. That's <laughs> what I, what I put in. Um, I'll pop you an email. But that's yeah. I think that um, five hundred milligrams of, coll- of vitamin C plus collagen powder. Um, but some people, you know, my brother's 
built differently. He's a more of an endurance athlete than I am. He doesn't get as far as well. He never complains of aching. So I think we're all different. And I think it's, it's you know, muscle fiber type and, you know, affect, affect what we need. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes it's, it comes across as a bit glib or uh, kind of um, uh, like dodging the question or something when people say, you know, everyone's different. Yes. But it's true. They are. And, you know, you can say that uh, if you're type 2 diabetic, then a low-carb diet is highly likely to reverse that no mm. matter who you are. But do you need some collagen and some vitamin C to help you? Do you need some vitamin B12? Do you, are you so deficient you need some B12, you know, injections? You know, there's all these different yeah. things which yeah. um, people have to find out by um, doing that experiment. And, you know, the whole, you know, the issue of the gut microbiome, when you've got 37 trillion bacteria in your gut, more gut, you know, more bacteria in your gut than you've got human cells in your body. Hmm. And, you know, we're, we're at the early days, you know, when they first used P, you know, DNA, te- the story is that, you know, up until recently, you couldn't really decide what bacteria are in the gut, because when you try and grow the bacteria, most of them die. So you can only count a few and there's all these missing, when you put these bacteria under the microscope, it's teeming. But when you try and grow and culture those, most of them die and, and they, don't, they don't survive. So it's very difficult to investigate bacteria that don't survive and you can't plate them and you can't grow them. As soon as the DNA analysis of bacteria in the gut was available, we suddenly realized, oh my goodness, there's this huge, you know, there's, there's the amount of bacteria and the diversity, the difference. And these bacteria, they have their own genetic makeup. They produce proteins that cross into the blood, you know, get into our blood. They interact with our bodies. And um, if you start reading some of the, the research on the gut microbiome, it's, it's like someone, you know, that they've opened Pandora's box, basically. <laughs> so if you're a diabetic with a different gut microbiome, if perhaps if you're born via cesarean section or you had lots of antibiotics as a kid or you probably needed them, but, you know, you did and then you had different ate in a certain way, then you're going to behave very differently to, to someone with a different kind of history and background. So I think that's, you know, I think the gut microbiome is, is a, you know, it's, it's, we've got, it is very different. You know, everyone is very different and the effect is we don't know. We don't know, but there are certain patterns and um, in you know, the more diverse, diversification, the more diversity you have in your gut microbiome seems to be related to better health. But that's a pretty basic statement, you know, in, in 20, 30, 40 years time, you know, what will you go to your doctors with a chip with your kind of genetic, your own DNA, genetic makeup, and then your bacteria's genetic makeup and you plug them in, you know, and you plug them in and it cross references and says, well, with your genetic makeup and then your bacteria's genetic makeup that you're carrying, um, this is what, this is how we would treat you. Hmm. But, you know that's 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 science fiction at the moment you know but it will it come i don't know but i think what we're what we're doing with functional medicine is at least we're asking the question and we're we're recognizing that the, the the person in front of you is is different to the last person in front of you and actually they're going to need a different approach different and different advice and dealt with in a different way um so i feel like i've got a job for the the rest of my life <laughs> yeah i think it's tempting to say that we are up to date people want to feel reassured that science has solved everything and that's it now we're good good 
Now right. we can just um, apply that dispassionately uh, and everything will be fine. But mm. I think we're probably in the dark ages in almost every respect. And the although we've made great gains in some aspects in our lives, we've got so much still to understand. Huge. Yeah, and, and absolutely. I mean, I think when we're at medical school, they... I said within five years, half of what you're going to learn today will be irrelevant, you know, and I think, and that's, you know, and then in another five years, another half. So, so, and the rate of medical knowledge and information, I don't know what the doubling time now is, but it's down to days rather than years. So, so, you know, we're just, we live in a sort of information heavy age and, and it's, it's trying to sort of main degree of humanity and common sense and pragmatic, sort of pragmatic approach to life through it all. You know, and I think I think we've switched the lights on. So I think I think the lights are on. We can see certain things that we now we need to sort of move forward and investigate and understand. And but yeah, it's 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 exciting. And I think and that, you know, there's lots of things we can do for people already, and lots of stuff we know. So, but the the future will, I think, answer a lot of the questions that that we um that we just say. Well, everyone's different, and but we'll be able to say how they're different and what way they're different, and therefore what would be you know we can say look this probably would suit you better I mean, i think some of the genomic companies genetic companies are trying to sort of say that you should eat you know they'll do your your sort of genetic test your genomic testing and then they'll say you ought to eat in this way i'm not entirely convinced that they know that from the the dna because i think it's it's so much of it is lifestyle as well so you know your your kind of current the way who you are and, and the, the bigger picture but you know i guess they're trying to they're trying to build a product that that people feel they need they want that reassurance but if my dna says this then i must i must you know if i eat this way then i'll be healthier but um i think it's a bit of a stretch but it's at least them trying to sort of join the dots together and, and come out with a um a sensible actionable kind of plan for people mm-hmm it's been a really good chat. Um, why don't you tell people where they can find you online and um, how they can interact with you? Yeah, so um, I guess I've got a very sort of, I've got a, an Instagram account, which is called Body Mapping. Um, my Twitter hashtag is at Dr. Baslinton. That's B-A-Z-L-I-N-T-O-N. Um, and then the website for the clinic is the body or sorry bodymappingclinic.com um it's in its infancies um got a web designer working at the moment so it's all it's all kind of things are going to be developing in the next sort of two to three years but there are if people want to consult with me there they can there's some a sort of introductory package that people can go along and, and purchase or contact if they want to phone me they can buy a sort of a sort of 15 minute exploratory conversation to see whether what I can offer might fit them or not. Um, so people can, can look me up there. Um, and that will sort of be changing over the next sort of 18 months or so. So as, as I work away in the evenings to get that up and running with, mm-hmm. with the web designer and various other things. And hopefully we'll be opening a, a sort of uh, functional medicine clinic um, in South Yorkshire, in just south of Doncaster in 2021. Um, buildings going through its renovation stages so yeah and so exciting times and um, lots of work but um keep me busy for the next 30 years so brilliant well i love the long-term approach i think it's um 
think it's sensible and like you say you avoid burnout and you you show people that you're serious as well yeah and no, absolutely i mean it's definitely my sort of i know where i'm set for the next 30 years and it's it's yeah it's a good journey to be on and um feel privileged to be to be leading it really um and if i can help people along the way and kind of change thought and ideas and be part of that then exciting times and if you do get to offering any sort of um if you bring back your your ready meals then let me know and i'll <laughs> i'll order them absolutely my, um, lunchtime snack watch this space indeed ali well look you take care have a good evening and um we'll be in touch all right thanks michael yeah take care then thanks for listening everyone please don't forget to jump over to itunes google play stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button and please don't forget to leave a five-star rating and review to get the podcast in front of more eyes this podcast is made possible thanks to paleocanteen.co.uk which is my company that's paleocanteen.co.uk thanks see you next time